SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. I think you're all fucked in the head. We're ten hours from the fucking fun park and you want to bail out. Well, I'll tell you something. This is no longer a vacation. It's a quest. It's a quest for fun. I'm going to have fun and you're going to have fun. We're all going to have so much fucking fun we'll need plastic surgery to remove our goddamn smiles. You'll be whistling symphony doo out of your assholes. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sounds are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hello everybody. And we're kicking off a new series of films by taking a look at the National Lampoon's Vacation Quadrilogy. Now what do I mean? Holiday Road. Okay, yeah. Uh, and what, what do I mean by those films? Well, this episode we're talking about the first one, National Lampoon's Vacation. And over the next month or so, we'll be talking about the other ones, European Vacation, Christmas Vacation, Vegas Vacation, and in the Vegas Vacation episodes, we'll touch a little bit on the direct-to-video sequel, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure, and uh, some... News about the in the works uh, film tentatively titled New Vacation. So, a lot of interesting stuff there. And Chevy Chase, you know, last time we talked about Chevy Chase on the sequel cast is around when we were getting started. We did uh, episodes on the Caddyshack series. Oh, those Halcyon days. Yes. Uh, wow. And this uh, so National Lampoon's Vacation, directed by Harold Ramis, produced by Maddie Simmons, written by John Hughes, based off his uh, short story. Starring Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, Anthony Michael Hall, Dana Barron, and Randy Quaid. With a score by Ralph Burns and original songs by Lindsey Buckingham. Victor J. Kemper was the cinematographer. Distributed by Warner Brothers. Came out July 29th, 1983 in the United States. And off a budget of $15 million, made $61.3 million, $61. million domestically. So, uh, you know, you adjust that for inflation. I mean, this was a really huge hit. And well, that's just uh, box office, right? Because this domestic was huge U.S. On box office, absolutely. This this series was huge on video, and it I was mean, on cable constantly. Oh, sure. And uh, so, have you ever seen this first one, Thrasher Vacation? Regrettably, I have never seen it all the way through. But you've seen some clips because, huh, on TV. Yeah, well, because it was because it's always on cable. I've seen plenty of bits and pieces of the movie. But I've never just been able to sit down and watch it from beginning to end. I'm always just catching bits and pieces. Usually the pieces with John Candy. Yeah, you know, I um, never, I didn't grow up with Vacation. I think the first one I might have seen as a kid was like Christmas Vacation. But the first time I rented it might have been about seven or six years ago. And uh, <clears throat> really enjoyed it. And yet also, I mean, this one is rated R. Um, probably for language and like nudity. And... Um, 
Well, I mean, this this was the '80s when if you could not be a comedy without nudity, unless you were Ghostbusters. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, and you—that's exactly it. And there was no PG thirteen rating. I think by today's standard, you probably get a PG thirteen, even um, with the nudity. I think you get a pair of tits. And you get, uh, they use the word fuck a bit in a monologue rather famously near the end. <laughs> so I think for, for this show of uh, Sequel Cast, you know, check out our website, SequelCast.com. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his work at MarkWithTheC.com. And uh, it's all really, really cool stuff going on. I do want to say for the show we should break format a little bit thrasher just because you haven't seen it just to sort of make a bit difference why don't you ask me questions you have about this film well i guess well okay like how do you feel about about chevy chase in it because this was this film was made uh at a period where chevy chase was the biggest name in comedy. Absolutely. Uh, you no, know, this was like alien to some people, Oh, sure. But he was a titan. He he a was a comedy years. titan for a, a window there. I mean, he before this he did Caddyshack, he did the romantic comedy Foul Play with him and uh Goldie Hawn, I believe. Was it Goldie Hawn and Foul Play? I'm pretty sure it is. I'm actually not sure. It makes mm. sense that it would be her, but I've never seen that one either. Yeah, okay. So today we're going to celebrate movies I haven't seen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, with this, you know, Fletch would come out after this, which is something we haven't discussed, but it uh, could be a good topic for a good future sequel cast, uh, those films. And I think Chevy Chase is good. He's very good at uh, coming off as uh, playing characters that are aloof and kind of clumsy, and he loves to do physical bits, uh, physical business with his hands, whether it's fumbling a prop and... Uh, his humor kind of comes off as subtle. I'm trying to... And I think of the the sitcom that Chevy Chase is on now, although he recently left it near the very end of its fourth season, Community. Uh, I think he he's not in the last few episodes of that last season, although those haven't started airing yet. But... Um, Who knows if they ever will, frankly. Uh, no, they're putting them on in, um, I think, January or February of 2013. But whether they gets beyond that season, I'll be surprised. Anyway, uh, on that uh, sitcom community, uh, Joel McHale, the lead actor in that, the way he acts reminds me of a young Chevy Chase, I think. Well, he's he's good at playing... Well, I think that he's good at playing uh, an asshole who's a little bit full of himself. The, the thing is, from from what I understand about Chevy Chase, he's not acting. I, I, yeah, I have read that too, that he is reportedly uh, difficult to work with, sort of very much a my way or the highway attitude. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, there was, he had his shining moment and I, he, he possibly might have blown his chances just with how he was uh, personally with people. But I mean, also, was, you know, uh, well, might have burned well, a few bridges. All that in mind, do you, do you buy Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold, uh, husband and father or two? I do. And I mean, think, um, you look at this first National Lampoon vacation film, and it's not quite as um, over-the-top and cartoony as some of the sequels, although it has its moments, And that he tries to be a good father. It's like he's overcompensating 
for uh, ignoring his family the rest of the year, working overtime and all the stuff, and then he has to cram everything possible into a two-week vacation. I mean, I love the poster is certainly a takeoff of Star Wars, where it's... Well, it's... Well, it's less Conan. Star Wars and more every Frank Frazetta book cover that's ever been, which it's I I love I love the joke because I'm a huge fan of, of Frank Frazetta and, and that breed of, of uh, fantasy artists. But like it's it's funny. It's like I feel that this that the movie poster for Vacation is like trying to satirize a type of movie poster that hadn't quite yet become cliche. Yeah, and actually that poster is illustrated by Boris Vallejo. Oh, he's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah who is well-known for doing that kind of, uh, you know, high fantasy, dark fantasy artwork. With the real and it works, I mean, it's, 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 it's Vallejo out Vallejoing himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really nice. The only thing it's missing is, like, I feel like the sun should be in the background uh, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and that's one thing interesting with all these vacation films that we'll talk about in the coming weeks is that they never keep the cast the same as far as the kids are concerned, but Chevy Chase is always Clark Griswold, and Beverly D'Angelo is always Ellen Griswold, his wife. And I think in some way I relate to uh, Ellen, his wife, a bit more, just because she's sort of more like, oh, everything's okay, Clark. Oh, that's okay, honey. She kind of pretend everything is uh, okay the entire time. And it reminds me of my mom a lot, I think, as far as that uh, sort of attitude. Uh, But... I mean, do you find Chevy Chase not believable as a father in the other films or in the clips well, you've seen I, of this one? Or, Well, you know, it's the, the older, like, as I've, I've seen, as I said, this is the only vacation film that I haven't seen from beginning to end. And I feel that he gets a little more realistic. He, I, get, I find him more believable as a father in each successive movie only because he gets a little bit older and he yeah, gets a little bit right. worn down, a little bit more desperate. And, you know, he, he seems more and more like a guy who's put a lot of time and effort into his family and, and not necessarily thinking about himself. Yeah, I mean, watching this... Uh... He's a little too young, a little too cocksure, in this, uh, I guess, from what I've seen in this film. Certainly. I think he looks a bit too young. He's actually trim and in shape. And, you know, if you've only seen Chevy Chase in Community, he looks a bit, he has a bit like a Humpty Dumpty sort of body. Uh, which happens to a lot of people as they get older. It's tougher to keep off the weight and stay strict to diet and exercise and all that stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, the director of this, Harold Ramis, before this, he uh, had directed um, Caddyshack. And Harold Ramis is also a comedic actor from, like, SCTV and things such as uh, Egon and Ghostbusters. All that wouldn't come out for a few years. And he's also, he's Mr. Shalom in uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, correct? It's a very small part, isn't it? Or was he Mr. Lekheim? He, he, he's one of those, yeah. One of the... Yeah. So that's that's pretty funny. Um, Which I think that's the last screen thing I've seen him in. Harold Ramis directed a movie that wasn't so great uh, a few years ago called Year One that starred Jack Black and Michael Sierra. Oh, yeah. And sort of like a road movie of... Uh, through biblical times <laughs> that good idea but just not not the best execution not the best execution you know they didn't have the budget to do that scale but i mean we're not talking about harold ramus's career that might be something for one of our sister shows like sequel well, cast special was, we're talking it was about no national history of the world part oh exactly and, and the, you could not watch that and not think about mel brooks history of the world part one but back to national lampoons vacation oh, okay. uh it kind of surprised me doing research for this 
This film is actually based off a short story that John Hughes wrote for National Lampoon magazine when he was in college. Yeah, I think more, more people know the name National Lampoon from the movies than they do from the actual magazine. Is the magazine still around? I would assume yeah. so. I don't know the brand Lampoon is still around. I would assume the magazine's around in some form, but I really don't know. The The only reason I knew about the National Lampoon magazine is because my parents had like a uh, a book that was like the, the best material from the first 10 mm. years of the magazine when I was growing up. When I was in high school in the late 90s, uh, I took some journalism classes, and our, our teacher knew someone and always got these uh, special episodes or special magazines of the National Lampoon magazine for us to read. So that was back in the late nineties, cool. uh, which was pretty funny. So we know we know that, that Clark Wiswold wants to to take a nice uh, summer trip with his family. They're going to take a road trip to Wally World. Uh, Matt, you ever had uh, that kind of road trip in your life? Not as an adult, but as a kid, sure. Uh, we uh, The one in particular I remember is we went in the smack dab in the middle of July, probably like the week after 4th of July, to drive uh, all the way from... I, I can't remember if it was when I lived in Virginia or, or Georgia. I'm thinking it was Georgia. Drove from Georgia down to Orlando, Florida, to Universal Studios, Florida. You know, Florida in the heat in the middle of summer. And um, the humidity is awful. The lines were terrible. We were used to going to amusement parks in December when there's not that many lines and the weather is a lot more bearable. I mean, I, I recall Universal Studios Florida. There's the King Kong ride, you know, based on the movie from the 30s. The line was over two hours. The line for Back well, to the Future was over two and a half hours just to get on a ride that lasted two minutes. You, now, do they do what, what the Disney amusement parks sometimes do, where there's, like, entertainment on the line? There was, um, yeah, kind of. I mean, like, Back to the Future, the ride had all these TVs when you were in line, and there was a looping 20-minute clip of uh, Christopher Lloyd is in character as uh, Doc Brown, and you have Tom Wilson in character as uh, mm-hmm. Biff, you know, kind of doing these comedic bits and everything. Uh so, I mean, there is some sort of entertainment. And I do think at the time, if you ponied up more money for a special super-duper ticket, you kind of get sped to the front of the line or you get an exclusive um, line, you know? Yeah, uh, they have those special passes. Right. And, uh, you know, why not? It, you know, but um, and we didn't have that going there. I mean, still, I, I seem to recall at the time, it might have been like 100 bucks per person per day. Uh, you know, I have no idea what it's like for that. That's not even counting the hotel or anything. So that was sort of one, sort of disappointing, and it's like, well, we you know paid all this money to to wait in line and pay twenty dollars for a cheeseburger. Uh, <laughs> so it's a lot like cable TV. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's like cable mm-hmm. TV. But this Wally World, I think uh, this film could have set it up a bit better. You know, the whole family wants to go there, and they sing the theme song that's sort of a takeoff on Mickey Mouse Club, and obviously Wally World uh, is a takeoff of uh, Disney World. But you don't see a commercial on TV selling the amusement park and how much fun it is. You just know that's your destination. And actually, in an original cut of the film that is uh, unavailable to watch or anything, uh, before test screenings, they had a different ending of the film in which they uh, they get turned away from Raleigh World, and instead of trying to get back into the park like they do in the film, they go to a different hotel, and some hijinks happen, and the movie ends. 
And the test oh. audiences were very upset. Well, they didn't get to go to Wally World in the end. So in the, in the what, ending... What was the hype? High- the hijinks, was it one of those things that kind of like reinforces the family unit or, or? I'd suspect as much, you know, there's no deleted scenes of it on the DVD. I did listen to the audio commentary with the director in the stars and cool. Chevy Chase mentioned, Oh, he has that version of the movie on videotape, but <laughs> it's not in the extra features anywhere. <laughs> and uh, they just said it tested very poorly and they felt like rightly that the audience was cheated out of the whole movies. them trying to get to Wally world. And if they don't get to Wally world, what's the point? But, I mean, that's much later in the film. Uh, we all, all I can think, though, is I, I keep imagining that if we were to see Wally World, it would be a lot like Wonder World from, uh, from Beverly Hills Cop 3. Well, we do see Wally World in uh, this film, and it's uh, much more impressive than uh, well, that's the good. Beverly very, Hills very, Cop 3. Do, I mean, do you think it pays off? I mean, very yes. rarely yeah. when you have a movie where characters are trying so hard to get somewhere, does the the place actually meet your expectations? We'll talk about this more uh, towards the end of the episode. Um, But, you know, I think the car in this film is iconic. It's the Wagon Queen family truckster. It's this ugly, like, puke green color. And it's not the car they're meant to get from the car dealer, and the car dealer is played by a very young Eugene Levy. So, uh... Very nice. That's pretty... Funny to see. Um, what are some more questions you have? Well, actually, I'm looking. I'm looking at a photo of the the family the family truckster. Yeah, that looks a lot like the station wagon uh, my mother used to have. Oh yeah, what kind of a station wagon was it? I honestly, I do not remember uh, that she sold it. I think when I was five or six. Um, but it, it just like I, I've got a lot of good. I, I personally have a lot of good memories involving vehicles like that. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm happy to see it represented in the film. You know, um, when I watched uh, this one for the first time, there was a scene that I had seen parodying in another film that I didn't realize was a parody. And uh, let me explain what I mean. Go ahead. Right when they leave, uh, they do the thing which my family certainly did a lot on car trips: is when they all start the mom and the dad start singing a song, and they expect you to sing along. And, you know, you don't really have a choice in the matter. And in this, they, they sing the song, uh, Mockingbird. Oh, they listen to the Mockingbird, mm, that one? Uh, no. Mockingbird. Oh! Ing. And then... The classic rock one. Yes. Which exactly is what Dumb and Dumber does a takeoff of, you know, when that film came out, like, 15 years later. <laughs> where it's, uh... Harold and Lloyd, Harry and Lloyd uh, in a car with these um, Latinos they picked up off the street, giving them a ride, uh, doing a scene along. And they all seen it, except in that version, they seen it really terribly. And in this one, they're all on pitch. So, so that so that happened uh, in, in your family. They'd start singing something off the radio. Um, what we had specifically is there is a series of these. Uh, Sing a lawn books called We Sing, W E E S I N G. And uh, oh. they had different themes. I mean, it was typically like American folk songs. And my dad could play the guitar. He couldn't read sheet music, but he could. So a lot of David Foster? I think older than that. I mean, it's like, this go tell it on the mountain, over uh. the hills, and everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, all these. Uh, Oh, wait, that's a him. What am I talking about? Stephen Foster. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm sorry. Well, it's more like stuff like Jimmy Crack Corn and I Don't Care. Da, da, that da, is yeah. Stephen Foster. Okay, is it? Great. 
So I mean, it's yeah, stuff, but it, like just about any stuff like non-spiritual that. public domain song yeah. he wrote it. Okay. I mean, so that that's the kind of stuff that's uh, in those books, and that my family would sing on the very long. I mean, we used to do these huge drives from Virginia all the way down to Texas or New Mexico, or uh, and never really did the Midwest, but a lot of going, you know, south to southwest. Not quite cross country, but almost. So, a lot of you know, easily fifteen hour car rides wouldn't be out of the question for a vacation. And that's that's the amount of time it would take one way. Cool. Um, well, this well you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, Eugene Levy making an appearance. L- looking over this cast list, there are some amazing uh, comedians that have. Uh, that appear in this movie. Uh, we, of course, we have you know, Randy Quaid, but it goes all the and of course the the late great John Candy, but it goes all the way to Imogene Coca. Oh yeah, we should we should touch on that. I think before that, I'd like to talk about the kids for a minute. Oh sure. And this the in, in these movies, not only are the characters not the actors not consistent, but they're not the consistent age either. Like sometimes the boy is older than the girl, sometimes the girl is older than the boy. But it's always the same names of Rusty is the boy and Audrey's the girl. And this one, the boy is played by Anthony Michael Hall, who was a teenager at this time, or like twelve or thirteen, and uh, you know modern. This would, this would have been a few. This would have been a few years before he joined the cast of Saturday Night Live. Yeah, for that uh, one brief weird season. He was seventeen when he did that. Yeah. So, and in fact, it was because Anthony Michael Hall was uh, doing weird science for John Hughes that he was not able to be cast in European Vacation. And because of that, they decided to replace the actors for both uh, Rusty and Audrey. Because Dana Barron, who plays Audrey in this film, was all set up to do the European Vacation. It was all cast and everything. And then they decided just to recast both of them if they couldn't get Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, That's so weird. I think I guess, so. I guess they believed too they much it in would, their chemistry on screen. Maybe they thought it would confuse audiences. Like, oh, why did the guy not do it we might as well just change both of them i have no idea it's really weird Hmm. um well maybe the griswolds murder their children and replace them with someone more agreeable uh, every few years the focus of these movies is never on the kids it's it's always on the hijinks (laughs) between clark and ellen played by chevy chase and beverly d'angelo respectively uh but yeah randy quaid as a cousin eddie very very funny oh yeah classic character who they brought back for most of the sequels except for European Vacation. And, uh, I mean, it, in this one, it's it's especially dark. There, I think that's some of the best humor in the film where, you know, uh, Audrey is there on the, the seesaw in their backyard and on the other end of the seesaw is one of uh, Cousin Eddie's uh, kids. And she's like, so, you ever French kiss someone? And Audrey's like, yeah, who hasn't? And, uh, the other one says, my daddy says, I'm the best. I'm better than anyone. <laughs> and there's like a weird pause. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of jokes like that. I mean, uh, where they, they're having a barbecue, right? And they break out the grill, but uh, they only grill the buns. They don't have any meat. And it's not because they're vegetarian. They just can't afford it. So it's like, how you like it? Oh, I like my line medium rare, a little pink in the middle. No, Clark, the buns. Just the buns. <laughs> so, and Imogene Coca is their Aunt Edna, who wants to go with them for part of the trip to the Grand Canyon and Wally World and so forth. 
Everybody's gotten on in there. But as they leave uh, the Cousin Eddie's clan, their uh, their car, they want to take the... They take uh, Eddie's dog as well, and they tie the dog, the leash to the bumper just as they're getting ready. They forget about it, and the dog dies. Wow! You don't see anything. And in the short story, they describe like a really vivid like line of blood and a husk of a dog <laughs> attached to the back of the car. In the movie, That's you don't see anything, horrific. but the cop pulls him over and says, you know about the animal cruelty laws in these parts? Well, let me tell you. So why did they think it was a good idea to just, to just attach a dog's leash to a moving vehicle? They were trying to keep the dog in one place as they were loading up the car and leaving from some location. Uh-huh. And then, uh, yeah. That's, that is pretty hurt. Like, to, to go, to have to have a, a, an incest joke and then an animal cruelty joke, that's pretty harsh. I think the animal cruelty thing happens later, but I mean, the R rating of this film shines... The other ones are at least PG-13 or PG. Yeah. But it, it just really shines through, I think. It does have kind of a darker edge, and that's uh, apparently the original script had a lot of scenes that were really darker that director Harold Ramis had to tone down a good bit for what he wanted to do with his style of humor. Um, let's see. You want to... Well, what, about, do you, what do you think? Just because well, I, sure. I love, I love classic comedy. Yeah. What do you think of Imogene Coca's performance? She's funny. It, it's hard because she plays sort of a uh, the aunt who's a uh, you know like very old and doesn't quite get what go, what's going on. She complains all the time. She's clueless. She smells. And in fact, uh, in a scene pretty late in the film, they're driving somewhere, and uh, old Aunt Edna's been asleep for a while, and it turns out she dies just in the back seat of the car. And they have to figure out what to do with the body. So they strap do it. Do they leave it for the coyotes? No, they strap it to the top of the car on like a little like chair and kind of have it covered with a, a blanket. <laughs> Does it stay that way for the rest of the film? Yeah. Yep. Wow. So, I mean, you have a lot of darkness. It's not gory. You know, and these scenes could be gory with body parts falling off, necrosis or all these things. And, and it's just really, uh, they're just driving along and... Yeah, and, and, you know, they're like, I think Aunt Edna's asleep. No, she's not asleep. She's not moving clock. Oh, I'm sure she's fine. She sleeps like a log. <laughs> they just keep on doing that for a while. Uh, there's another really dark scene in the film where, you know, Aunt Edna just died. They ran out of gas. They had to pay. They had to steal money from a casino, uh, sort of a restaurant thing, to, uh, to just afford enough gas to, to move on with their trip. And one of the kids say, you know, I don't want to go to Wally World anyway. And Clark kind of goes a bit crazy. His, like, eyes sort of bug out. And he's like, what? We're going to fucking go to Wally World. We're going to fucking have a good time. You're going to fucking have the time of your lives. And just kind of snaps, <laughs> which I think is very believable. I've seen that happen on family vacations. Yeah, so, some, somebody always has to completely lose their fucking mind. <laughs> what, what's the story from uh, your childhood on a vacation where you know, like your dad or mom, or maybe your brother just kind of snapped and had this outburst? Oh, Too much family time. Well, uh, you know? if it wasn't me act literally dying of shame, I had to be resuscitated. I remember there was, um, there was a, uh, a summer... Because my, my dad had always wanted to do a big cross-country road trip. And 
it took us until like the late nineties to actually pull it off. We so you, so you were a bit too older for my, it. You were a bit too uh, old for it. My, was that the uh, thing? My grandfather had an RV and he let us borrow it for the summer. Uh, however, he had never like he had had this RV, but had never actually used it. So oh, no. he had it for a few years, but since he never used it, it had never really been put through its paces. It had never been maintained. Right. Yeah. So the this trip had to be aborted after a few days simply because the RV kept breaking down. Oh, like just just like outright the man, engine would oh, stop man. in the middle of the highway. Jeez, sure. and it was and it, and and it got to a. Uh, it it got to to uh, a a point, so that's of course you know very frustrating. And I remember at one point when it had when the car had stopped uh, or had broken down, I was trying to find my dad to ask him something, and I uh, I, I I and I, I thought I heard his voice, and I walked back, and and he's and he's urinating in the RV restroom, but with the door completely open, and I just kind of walk in on it. He's like, God damn it! I told you. To- don't interrupt me when I'm pissing or whatever. And it was just, <laughs> it, it had been a very stressful day and just like sure. every bad thing that could happen did happen. Uh, wow. So yeah, it took, I think it took us about 10 years to actually attempt that vacation again. And that time it worked really well. I had something happened rather embarrassing. I mean, I was in my early twenties on vacation with my family <laughs> and we were going, we drove from uh, Oregon down to, Reno, Nevada, and then we were driving back, and it was like, we, we should have left a day or two before, as some of us were suggesting, but we decided to stay a bit later to do Christmas Day proper in Reno and, and go home and stuff, and uh, just the weather was terrible, like bumper to bumper traffic. While we were on the slopes, and I just do like green, yellow, uh, like green or yellow slopes, I'm really terrified of heights, I hate the cold schemes, not for me, but that's what my dad always did on vacation, so that's what we did. And uh, I I fell and hit my tailbone, so I had a really sore kind of tailbone. And because I was one of the smallest people, and I was a guy, I sat like in between. Like it wasn't even a middle seat; it was kind of like a little bump <laughs> yeah. in between the two car seats. And it was aggravating my tailbone so much, and I was just in such pain. And at one point, my dad turned around with like killer killer eyes, and he was like, "If you don't fucking shut up this instant, okay, you're a grown man. We're in the car. We'll get home." Just shut up. <laughs> it was like wow. complete silence for 30 minutes. And granted, so, I'm yeah, so, so, so Chevy Chase's uh, fuck monologue is, is a it, pretty it hit true close life. to home to me, yeah. On Apocrypals, we talk about the parts of the Bible that a lot of people skip over. Like the wizard battles. The angel jacuzzis. A goat full of sins. 500 drunk elephants. And a man named Porky Party. And yes, that's all really in there. All this and more on Apocrypals every other week on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Need some adventure in your life? What Mad Universe is a podcast about the history of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, where we delve the depths of pop culture history. Everything's the same politically, but we have ray guns. The the actual motive isn't to explore something that's, quote, scientifically possible. or. But neither is Star Wars, and I know there's arguments about that, but I would definitely consider Star Wars science fiction. You haven't read Dune! No, I haven't. You can never be the Kwisatz Haderach. What Mad Universe on the Greenlit Podcast Network. You know, before we go on uh, talking about this film and going into our other segments of the sequel cast, <laughs> let's talk about some of our sponsors or, or affiliates. Ooh, let's say. do. So you go to sequelcast.com. I'm uh, doing it right now. Yeah, and, uh, go there. There's a lot of. I'm going there. Sequelcast.com. 
There it is, loading, loading, loading. And oh, we got a lot of fun stuff at SequelCast. You know, you can check out not only SequelCast, but our sister show, SequelCast Special and Sequel Commentary. Mm-hmm. You can download them all from there. You, yeah, That's we true. have some news stories we post every once in a while or reviews that are kind of fun. And, preach uh, it, preach it. If you like SequelCast, and uh, we know you, you must if you're listening to it and want to help out the show, we got a, a donate button on the top there. And if you click on that, you can donate via PayPal. It doesn't matter what Make country you're from. And uh, every little bit helps. In fact, we just got our our very first donation from a uh, a listener of ours out of Australia. Cool. So I want to give a hearty thanks to a uh, friend of the show. I'll just use his first name. Ben. From uh, Australia. Ben. You helped out our show. Very good. The cash is starting to flow. <laughs> it came from Australia. I'm sorry I started as Michael Jackson and turned into Olivia Newton-John. I don't know exactly that, why that That happened. can happen rather, Ben. But uh, thank you very much, uh, Ben. That really, you know, every little bit helps. Uh, Darina Podcast isn't free. It costs uh, hosting fees and then, you know, we got to spend money out of pocket to, you know, rent movies or, or do that sort of thing. Buy movies if we can't find them to rent or go to the movie theater or whatever. So every bit helps. And uh, we here at the Sequel Cast give you a hearty thanks. If you don't want to donate, you can also do other stuff like uh, buy Sequel Cast merchandise like T-shirts. or uh, Send us canned goods. I don't send canned goods. You're not that, that needy. Um, if, you like shopping, if you like shopping at Amazon.com, and frankly, who doesn't? Uh, you go to SequelCast.com, scroll down a little bit. There's the Buy the Movie uh, link, and you click on some of the stuff there, and uh, just do it next time you go shopping on Amazon. We'll get a cut from that. That that always helps. You don't have to buy the movies that are listed. Just click the link. And uh, you can also hear SequelCast streaming on Stitcher Smart Radio. Uh, go to Stitcher.com slash SequelCast to sign up for the app for your smartphone or desktop or laptop computer, and SequelCast yeah. automatically gets added as one of your favorite shows. And, and, and vote for us for one of their podcast awards. Sure. And also, the SequelCast podcast that you're listening to, uh, this show, SequelCast, is part of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. So if you like humorous and intelligence in your movie and TV podcast, what are you listening to SequelCast for? But besides that, you know, you can listen hey. to other great shows of the Battleship Pretension fleet, like the AuteurCast, Battleship Pretension, Film Junk Previously On, and WTF Are You Watching? So you can check those out at battleshippretension.com. So uh, I don't think I missed anything. Oh, Facebook page. Check us out at facebook.com slash sequelcast. And uh, let's go back to talking about National Lampoon Vacation. Indeed. This episode of the sequel cast. Uh, I think we should talk about the end, which I teased at the beginning of the show, where they get to Wally World and they get assigned, sorry, we're closed for two weeks for renovations. And this sends the family into a tizzy, and they drive off. And then, after this point, you know, you get the sort of a new ending that was filmed because of test audience screen screenings. And this is the only ending to the film you can actually see, where they go back. The Clark goes to a, a sporting goods store, and he buys a, what looks like a pistol. And they drive back to the park, and they see there is a security guard on duty, played by John Candy. Oh yeah. And uh, Clark. 
Griswold takes out his gun and holds it to his head, and he said, we drove cross-country, spent all this money just to go to your damn park, and you say it's closed? Like, fuck you. You're going to take us on all the rides we want. And holding a gun against his head. Again, another really dark m- move in this movie. Yeah, that's that's pretty fucked up that he's willing to commit a crime. And now uh, it, it does turn out park. later, you find out the gun's a BB gun, but that still doesn't make it any less of a crime. And not only do it's the cops not only do the cops get called, but the head of Wally World, Rory Wally himself, is at the scene. Played by the immortal Eddie Bracken. Oh yeah. And they have his hair and his mustache to look just like Walt Disney. It's uh it's really Which funny. It's a pretty nice touch. I yeah. have seen that scene. Oh yeah, what did you think of that part? I think it I think it works. I mean well, like like well, leading Ed, up Eddie to it Bracken there is a montage can play such oh. a kind hearted, gentle soul and I he, he he looks like what we all would imagine Walt Disney would be like if we knew him only for his movies. He's what we wish the character of Uncle Dave from Beverly Hills Cop three would have been. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Uh, but yeah, leading up to that, you get uh, an 80s tradition, the montage of them going on all these crazy rides as Clark uh, Griswold and the security guard, played by John Candy, are screaming their heads off. And apparently that wasn't acting. Chevy Chase doesn't like heights or doesn't like roller coasters or thrill rides. <laughs> and they had to ride the rides like seven or eight times to get all the coverage. Cause you get so, so they couldn't. They couldn't, like, superimpose or doctor photographs. They had to actually send them on the lo- rides and use high-speed cameras. Yeah, and but you get a lot of, like, real great shots of the... Uh, they have a camera mounted to the front of the roller coaster, so you get a first-person view of what it's like. And, and cool. there was, like, a rickety wooden roller coaster, a... Uh, a uh, the more modern roller coaster with a loop-to-loop, a... Uh, one of those Flying Dutchman rides where it kind of swings back and forth. Uh-uh. shaped like a ship and all that stuff. And, like, for the record, I like amusement parks, but I hate roller coasters. I more like the different... I like the different themed environments, I think, is what I enjoy at a theme park. And so I'm curious, as an adult, to go to Disneyland, which I've never been to before. And it's, you know, located in Southern California, which is closer to me uh, where I live in Oregon now than uh, Florida, so... Well, actually, if I could uh, comment on something, because the, the fact that the amusement park is closed is in its own kind of way realistic because like in, in, in the pre-internet days if you didn't check that kind of thing ahead of time it could really bite you in the ass and it's not as if that information was necessarily always readily available. Right. I mean you could call a number and it just might hit a voicemail that wouldn't even mention that. You didn't have websites. You didn't have uh, you know maybe if you were on their mailing list you might get a mailer that says hey uh, but even then that stuff can change. So any information you would get could get out of date. <laughs> and while you do get the, the rides and the scope, and it feels more like an amusement park than uh, the amusement park in Beverly Hills Cop 3 did, you don't get people in costumes. But, I mean, that makes sense because the park is closed. So you can kind of... Very, very true. And it, and I guess that, you know, that that to save money and time, you kind of have to fit, film it like that because it's not as if... If, if if you're refilming the ending, it's not as if you're going to be have you're going to have huge mounds of cash you can use to populate an amusement park, but it kind of works since it does make sense that there's not going to be too much fancy extra stuff going on. Yeah, I think the one thing that doesn't quite work though is when they and this is just what they did at the time in movies as they drive to the park, it's very very clearly a matte shot 
of the big sign saying Wally World, and even the roller coasters in the back are sort of, are part of a painting as the map shot. Mm, and yeah. that's not very effective. But that's what they had to do in movies back then. I mean, I guess they could have tried to hand animate. I mean, there wouldn't have been a roller coaster moving because the park was closed. But Yeah, so it's real in its way. It's real, but I think you could have done some sort of photo composite that would have looked better, I think. Um, so I don't know. I So I do think uh, this... Oh, go on. Do you have one last oh, question? Oh, no, I was just saying that, that matte, matte paintings really were the thing uh, back then. Sure. And some really good ones you still can't really tell. I think of the one in Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope, where... Uh, oh, they're loaded with matte paintings. Well, yeah, I'm thinking of the scene, though, in the Death Star, where Obi-Wan Kenobi is uh, sneaking around to flip off the, the switch, the power core, so they can uh, escape. Well, you know, well, what else? Uh, uh, and this one is really hard to spot. Uh, the the last shot of Die Hard Two with the the uh, airplanes on the runway and the rescue vehicles. Yes. that is also a matte shot. Oh, how about that? It's so well done. the 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 only parts that are real are the parts with the ve- rescue vehicle. Uh, well, with the the rescue vehicles with the lights on, yeah. and the part with the people exiting the plane. Everything else is, is a matte. It was hand painted. Fascinating. Pretty cool. Uh, well, I think we've had a good discussion here of National Lampoon's Vacation. Do you think, given from uh, my description of it and our conversation, do you think you'd want to watch this? Give me a chance. I feel, I feel like I should. Yeah. I, I really do feel like I should. Okay. So I think I will rate this film, but I don't think you should be able to, Thrasher. Is that fair? Oh, I will rate it. I will rate it as I see fit. Okay. You, who are you to judge me? And my rating. I uh, give National Lampoon's Vacation four out of five stars. I think it's it's really funny. has a lot of moments. It probably has more relatable events. It doesn't quite get as over the top as some of the later films do. And um, the the Roadster is just a really classic, classic car. Watching this brought back a lot of memories of vacations I went on as a kid. And I think for that reason alone, I give it four out of five stars. Also, the the actors playing the kids are, are really good in this. Perhaps the best in the series. Well, I will uh, I will give this uh, I will rate this film uh, X. Uh, you must solve for X by watching the movie. Uh, X could have a value anywhere between negative one to five. Very good. So now we're going to move to another segment of Sequel Cast called Pitch a Sequel, in which uh, we pretend like no other sequels are made to this movie and we get to come up with one. So, I'll begin. I think I would call it National Lampoon's Lil, Little Vacation. <laughs> and it'd be about Clark Griswold as a small child having to go on a vacation with his dad. And you see where he picks up some of his stuff from, or maybe it's that... His fam, I, no, maybe I think a better idea would be a, a young, Clark, I'm changing the pitch midway through, partially, a young Clark uh, Griswold is sick of his family not being able to afford to go on a vacation, so he runs away from home and goes on a vacation by himself. Hmm. Is he played by Macaulay Culkin? Well, I, I you know, I think this would be made, oh, uh, yeah, you know, if this was made at the time, sure, it would have been a Macaulay Culkin, maybe like around the time of Uncle Buck or something. Yeah, or, or would it be direct-to-video and animated? 
No. No, it would not be animated. Although, I mean, why they never did a sitcom based off this vacation series, I'll never know. Because you have enough Give them time. A few more direct-to-video sequels. I'm sure there'll be a pilot made for the Family Channel. There could be. You know, they did uh, Home Alone 4 and 5 were done as TV movies for ABC Family, so... Pretty funny stuff. Well, well, I think my sequel will be uh, National Lampoon's Downer Vacation, where it takes place uh, a year or two later, and uh, Roy Wally dies. And the Griswolds, uh, it turns out that that Roy Wally taking them into Wally World when it was closed is one of the best days in Roy Wally's final years. So Roy Wally has invited the Griswolds to attend his funeral. And so it's the Griswolds taking another road trip to get to the Wally estate to attend the funeral and have to deal with all sorts of shenanigans on the road to get there. But the two biggest obstacles, one would be John Candy's security guard character has now really toughened up and wants revenge on the Griswolds for humiliating him uh, those years before. But also, you get when they get to the uh, when they get to the Wally estate, they get to meet uh, Wally's family, who are all just miserable, horrible people without any sense of joy or wonder. And this sort of unmotivated rivalry kind of starts between uh, the two families, especially when a rumor goes flying around that the entire Wally fortune has been left to the Griswolds. Now, of course, in the end, it turns out it's it turns out it's not. All he left them was a lifetime pass that would get them and their family and all of their descendants into Wally World from now into perpetuity. Uh, which you know, every, the the Wally family breathes a sigh of relief when that's revealed. However, the entire Wally fortune is given to charity, except for the park, which is put in trust uh, to be America's still be America's number one park. So the family doesn't get anything. Nothing? Not even a little bit? Mm, n- no. He, he wanted, Wally wanted to leave his legacy to people who would appreciate it, so he leaves, he leaves the lifetime passes for the Griswold family and leaves the park to uh, all, all Americans with a sense of wonder in their heart. Hmm. Pretty neat. I have to say, um... Okay, so our final segment in sequel cast is what you're watching, in which we pick a piece of media, whether it be book, film, TV, video game, whatever we've been watching that we've been enjoying. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you start, Thrasher? Well, I'm sorry, I'm feeling a, a little bit giggly. Well, um, as as has never been brought up on the show before, uh, I'm always very intentionally behind on video games. It's very rare that I will get a game when it comes out. I will usually yep. wait three months, often uh, as much as a year after a game's released to pick it up. One, because of price, but two, I don't want to... I've really become sensitive to my time being wasted, and I just... I do not want to pick up a bad video game. If I pick up a game, I want to know... I want plenty of people to have vetted it before me so I can know whether it's worth my time. So anyway, I recently started uh, playing the horror game uh, Alan Wake, which is a, a game... It's it's kind of like a it's both a love letter to Stephen King and to Twin Peaks, but I'm really enjoying it. I have played that one actually. Um, All the way through. Yeah. Oh, cool. Because um, it's an uh, there's a retail game with two DLC uh, packs, and then they later came out with a 
XBLA arcade title that was sort of a sequel. Um, huh. But it's the same style of gameplay. But it's pretty cool. You play you play a horror writer who's suffering from a creative drought who goes to this uh, somewhat creepy uh, mountain town with his wife to have a vacation and then blacks out, wakes up up to like a week later. His wife is missing. Their cabin is missing. And, and he, no, one know, and no one knows what the, the hell has happened. And then monsters show up, but they're not normal monsters. They're like sort of people possessed by living darkness. So your primary weapon is a flashlight. So there are these lengthy nocturnal segments where you have to navigate using your flashlight. You have to use your flashlight to keep the monsters at bay and to weaken them before you can actually do any kind of harm to them. It's it's rather nice. I find it's building a lot of tension. And it unfolds... uh, A sort of a stylistic choice they made is that it unfolds like a TV miniseries. It's divided up into episodes that all have a, a contained arc that links up to the, the main narrative. And there's also just great like show-within-a-show things, because you can find televisions, turn them on, and watch these like five-minute Twilight Zone rip-offs called uh, Night Springs, which is hilarious. Just like you get sort of a whole Twilight Zone episode boiled down to its most basic story beats coming at you real fast. Yeah, it's... Uh... Oh, geez, I don't know what happened to my voice there. I'm sure that sounds lovely to the audience. You sound like a Muppet from Star Wars. Yeah, okay, that's a little bit better. Oh, no, no, that that robot, was it like uh, ED-99 or whatever, the robot from uh, that organized the other robots on, uh, on Jabba's Palace? I think disintegration is time for you, dear robot. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> You will work on the master's sail barge. <laughs> I've been watching an interesting documentary um, that I, I just signed up for a trial for Epic's HD, um, a premium channel, just to watch the documentary, and then I'm going to cancel the free trial. It's yeah. called Everything or Nothing. It's a look at the 50th anniversary of James Bond. But more interestingly, it focuses on not just Ian Fleming, the author of the books, but the relationship of the producer's of the early John uh, James Bond films, um, Albert R. Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. And after Man with the Golden Gun, I think uh, Saltzman parted ways and the full film ownerships went to Broccoli. So it kind of talks about, you know, sort of more warts and all stories of how some movies didn't quite make as much money and what it was like to work with Sean Connery. It's not really complimentary towards them. Uh, hmm. So it's pretty neat. Sean Connery was the only person they could not get to speak uh, in the documentary. Well, I guess it's a shame. He's but been I guess retired he's for a, a, Bond. Yeah, he's been retired for a decade, and I think at one point they were there was rumors of them trying to hire Sean Connery to play a bad guy in a James Bond film. That would be. Pre- I've heard those rumors too. That would be pretty cool. And the quote from Sean Connery on it was, "They could not. They couldn't pay me enough. Like they can't afford me." <laughs> so I don't know I think that'd be funny if they did that but I don't know if they ever would so and anyway that documentary is really interesting and I've been kind of watching some James Bond films off uh... well here's one more thing we can talk about did you do any Black oh. Friday shopping or anything over that weekend absolutely not I try to stay away from that really not even if there was an amazing deal you can get yep. from a website where you don't even have to walk into a store and get trampled to death. 
I've never found such an amazing deal. When, when I worked retail, I would purposefully fuck up my own travel plan so that I would never be back in time for Black Friday. Hmm. It was great. I see. Well, like it's just, it's just, I just find it. It's just for me. It's a very miserable day. I'm sure if you're work, if you're working retail, it's a terrible day. Um, I mean, I mean, in addition to that, you know, I worked at a an Office Max uh, quite some time ago when I did retail, and back to school day was also bad, not just Black Friday. Oh, but I would think that. I got a really good deal on um, through Amazon.com where uh, they sold a Blu-ray set of all 22 um, Eon Production James Bond movies. So that's, cool. that's not counting the 1960s spoof Casino Royale or the 80s film Never Say Never Again. Well, that movie exists because of a, a quirk in a rights dispute, so I can understand why it's not in the set. Right. But uh, for all those films on the Blu-ray, guess how much the set was on sale? Ninety-nine bucks. Pretty close, hundred bucks. So that's a uh, you know, five dollars a movie. That's a really good deal considering the um, retail price for that's three hundred dollars. So that's what I got on Black Friday weekend online on on Saturday actually, not Friday. So. I thought that was pretty cool. And yeah, part of that infamous James Bond uh, rights quandary regarding Thunderball, uh, I just watched that part of this documentary, Everything or Nothing. And uh, they talk about that. And it's it's very confusing and it's very weird. And how many years that was that was drug out for was uh, was pretty amazing. Yeah, that that is a film series we're gonna have to tackle at some point. I I think so. Yeah, uh, I'm just not sure how to how to do it because I don't want to spend half a year. <laughs> Maybe we can do a sequel cast special just on the whole series as a whole. Yeah, or, or just nice. pick a particular era of Bond. And that's true. You could do Sean Connery Bond. Yeah. Well, whatever we have. And you know, in one of the other shows in the Battleship uh, Pretension Fleet, the Auteur Cast, where they typically talk about films, you know, done by a director, one film at a time. They're actually looking at the James Bond films right now, uh, using the auteur um, point of view of the producers as auteurs. Now, how would you define auteur for the audience if they want to listen to that series? Uh, it's it's a word for people who don't want to say director. It doesn't always just mean director, but a lot of times it does. And I tend to think of it mainly as like directors that are writer directors. Who write and direct their own stuff, although that's not always the case either. Well, I think that's the problem. It, it is way too flexible a, a word. And, I mean, typically I find it applied to directors, and it's almost to the point where it's the director in, in such... Because fi- film is is collaborative. Yes. But when, when you say our tour, you're, I feel that you're you're cheapening the contribution of everyone else involved. The writer, the the actors, the designers... Well, but I think there is something to the theory and that it's it's shorthand to uh to look at something you look at a you can look at the films a director have made in their career and kinda hop from film to film or that a producer has made and made made links and kind of provide a, a narrative or a kind of film history, if you will. 
So I think it certainly has has use. But uh, on the other hand, certainly film is a collaboration. Even the 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 wacky short films we made going to Savannah College of Art and Design, you know, were collaborative efforts. Even if it was just like a two or three person crew. Oh, and, absolutely. And even if I somehow broke a boom mic while doing a uh, uh, a teen boat dance. No, no, you you dropped a camera. I dropped a camera. That's right, but the camera still Between worked. The teen boat song. Yeah. I, I was testing out the. Uh, I hip checked the camera. So. <laughs> was, yeah. Okay, this is a fun moment from our past. So we were filming. Uh, I think it was one of my short films. It was uh, in, yes. my, in my efficiency, and a year before. I had gone to the small press expo, uh, which was just outside of uh, Alexandria, Virginia, which is very near Washington, D.C. And while I was there, I picked up a mini comic that these guys had made called Teen Boat. And it was about a uh, it was about a teenage boy who could turn into a yacht. And it was just just hilarious because it's it's both mocking the actual animated series Turbo Teen, but also like any teen movie you've ever seen and like a bunch of like he's like so, like a friend of his starts inviting people to a party on his yacht so of course he has to turn into the yacht for there to be a party and you get transformation sequences but we made like <laughs> it was you me and i think the two and like jason, jason and the other the guy who's doing the camera work we made a theme song oh. for teen boat and like we decided we should record it before we had to bring the camera back to the av lab and yeah, we started recording it, and then the, <laughs> the camera fell. And thankfully, it didn't break. Yep, but my car was broken into that same night. That's a separate story. Oh yeah. But no one had to pay uh, anything for broken or stolen equipment. So. Well, th- thankfully, yeah, because well, wasn't the only piece of film equipment a uh, boom mic stand? It wasn't even the mic, right? It was the stand. Yeah, which just looks like a length of lead pipe. Which, <laughs> frankly, you could just replace the goddamn stand with a length of lead pipe. That was something that I kept noticing, like, in all my film classes, uh, is that I kept thinking, like, I kept coming up with cheaper ways to do things. And like, why aren't we doing this? We could get the same effect for, like, a third of the cost. What is up with this? And just finding badly designed electronics and things like that. It's like you just attach film to the end of it, and uh, yeah, you know you can charge a lot more for it. So, well, I think we've done a pretty neat discussion here on the National Lampoon's Vacation, and next week, tune in, and we'll be talking about National Lampoon's European Vacation for the sequel cast. This is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying, check out our website at www.sequelcast.com or check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. And, uh, and we'll fucking go to Wally World. We'll go to Wally World and we'll fucking have a good time. You'll have the time of your life. And we'll ride all the rides, get all the t-shirts, and it'll be worth it in the end. It'll be worth it. God damn it. It'll be worth it. <laughs> 